right, it's the second week of November, and as harvest season comes to a close, many producers are making decisions for 2019. With that in mind, this call of the week will focus on one of those decisions, choosing seed treatments. And we have two guests today, Scott Stewart, who's going to focus on insecticide seed treatments, and Heather Kelly, who will cover fungicide seed treatments. Um, Scott, I'll start with you. I, I read an article on Delta Farm Press recently where you were quoted um, that considering the shift to planting more dicamba-tolerant cotton and 2,4-D-tolerant cotton, insecticide seed treatments are more important than ever. And, and good insecticide seed treatments are more important than ever. And you, you mentioned them talking here with Heather, too. And a lot of these things are packaged with fungicides, mm-hmm. so they really do go together. But one of the reasons we're talking more about using the best seed treatment specifically on cotton is because the label currently for spraying dicamba over the top of these crops do not allow tank mixes with foliar insecticides. So if you're going to stay on the label, you either got to make a special trip and come back, which most people logistically have a hard time doing, or you need to have a seed treatment that maybe you don't have to come back and make that foliar application. Mm-hmm. And kind of on that trend, we're seeing a lot of cover crops being planted. I know that, of course, has an effect on insect control. So uh, what are your recommendations with, uh, you know, insecticide seed treatments you know, for a crop following a cover crop? Yeah, and of course our corn comes, all of it, with a base seed treatment of insecticide. So really the decision is, do I want to use a premium package with higher rates or a base? Most of our cover crops are probably used in conjunction with soybean. Soybean is the one crop that we don't always use an insecticide seed treatment on it. What my research has shown and, and some of the other plots I've looked at, for example, of Larry Steckles is, at least in some circumstances where you're delaying the burn down of that cover crop till near planting or even after planting, you better use a seed treatment. And that's especially true if you're using covers that have legumes in them like clovers and vetch because soybeans are legumes. So you're feeding insects and then all of a sudden you, you kill the cover crop and you plant a legume behind it, you're kind of asking for it. Mm-hmm. Heather, we'll bring you in. What sort of concerns are, are you seeing from producers about fungicide seed treatments? So, again, just going back to cover crops. With cover crops, it's a lot more what I've seen so far is just they uh, are going to hold more moisture in the soil. And that uh, those wet feed or the wetness in the soil really helps promote more seedling diseases. And so, again, I uh, just need to make sure there's a seed treatment on there. That doesn't necessarily mean you need to go with a premium one. But uh, fungicide seed treatments, even just the base seed treatments, always have two active ingredients. And you really do need two different active ingredients when it comes to seedling diseases because you have kind of two different groups. One are the true fungi. Uh, you might say like Rhizoctonia or fungi or uh, Fusarium in that true fungi group. And then you have the oomycetes. They're, they're fungi-like, but there's some differences in them and they actually have to have a different... Uh, active ingredient to control those oomycetes, that's your Phytophthora and Pythium. And so that's why you do always have two different active ingredients on a fungicide seed treatment to get the effectiveness to cover both those two groups. All right, and why, why is it so important that producers are evaluating seed treatment decisions now? And then, you know, one of the reasons we're talking about this now is that unless you're getting your seed locally treated, uh, you've got to order it that way. Mm -hmm. And right now is the time to order seed. And this is really important in the eastern part of the state where we don't have retailer distributor people locally that can treat the seed. All the corn's treated at the factory level, but our cotton and our soybean can be treated by local distributors and and they have quite a bit of flexibility on when they can do that. But 
if, if you're ordering it, you need to order it with what you want now, or you're going to have to live with what you got. Gotcha. Of course, I know you talk about seed treatments, you know, offering an economic advantage, but maybe not in every situation. Are there times when it's not good to, to use a seed treatment or it's not a value? Well, I, I would say in soybean for us, I don't get too excited about using an insecticide seed treatment mm-hmm. uh, unless I'm in a certain circumstance like cover crops mm-hmm. or high-risk fields. You know, I've got a history of that. We, we have some long-term data showing there's maybe a, a bushel advantage to using that insecticide seed treatment, which pretty much pays the cost. But again, it becomes more critically important in, in certain circumstances. For example, if it's a very weedy field when you plant it or it's got a cover crop in there. Now, a lot of our testing would include fungicide seed treatments, and we probably more consistently see a response to a fungicide seed treatment in soybean than we do the insecticide mm-hmm. on an average acre. Yeah, and that, that uh, increase in yield or protection in yield from a fungicide seed treatment is also still going to be um, field-specific. There's going to be some fields that are higher risk, again, due to environmental conditions, um, and then just also year-specific due to the weather. Uh, a cooler, wet spring, you're going to have uh, more disease pressure. Really, even a warm, wet spring, you'll have disease pressure too, but it'll be a different set of pathogens. Again, the reason for the two... Uh, AIs. And so, uh, again, too, we see it consistently where the impact is also going to be based on how much pressure you have. We'll do split row pots looking at uh, fungicide seed treatments where the two rows have not been inoculated and two rows have been inoculated, say, with rhizoctonia. Mm -hmm. We always see a bigger benefit um, from that seed treatment where we have high disease pressure. Um, and so that's one thing to just know your field, take note of when you have had issues to make sure you figure out what that issue was um, to better plan for the future years when you plant into that field. Yeah, I think one thing to remember, and this kind of goes back to, to cotton a little bit and whether or not we need seed treatments. Well, in cotton, we always recommend something for thrips control, and that's generally going to be a seed treatment. There are some inferro options, but and it's just because the problems are so consistent and hard to cure after the fact that you really need that seed treatment in there and and uh, going with a premium level with the resistance that we're seeing to some of the neonicotinoid insecticides is one approach I'm taking. Another approach would be to be more aggressive foliarly, but of course one of the problems there is you got to be able to make that foliar application. Mm-hmm. It might be raining or you might be trying to plant the rest of your crop, whatever that may be. So there are specific recommendations you want to make as far as seed treatments to use? I don't really have any specific ones, again, other than, you know, a base fungicide seed treatment always comes with two different active ingredients at least. And again, I usually would say going above that is only needed when you know you have a problematic field Mm -hmm. or you expect to have more disease pressure, uh, possibly from going after cover crops and or just uh, knowing you have a wet field. Um, again, there are some individual seed treatments out there that specifically target pathogens like the, the fusarium that causes sudden death syndrome in soybean. Again, you don't need that seed treatment unless you have SDS in that field, you have that pathogen. Similarly with the uh, nematicide seed treatments, you only need to be considering those really if you know you have nematodes in that field. And so field, and that's where I'm going to plug, you know, this year, uh, University of Tennessee is... Uh, running free soil testing for pathogens, which include all pathogenic nematodes, as well as we'll be screening for charcoal rot. And all that information can be found on utcrops.com, mainly just under the soybean and nematode and disease tab. 
Um, but you can sample other fields other than soybeans. Right. And when does that, is, how long does that last? That... It's going to go through the end of this year and hopefully also into next year. We will have to wait a little bit on funding mm-hmm. for 2019, but I'm uh, hopeful that we'll, we'll, we will run it through the spring because with it being so wet right now, we don't, you don't want to sample your soil. Obviously, you're not going to be able to get out in the field if it's too wet. But we also don't want you to soil sample when it's sopping wet. Moist mm-hmm. soil is, is what we kind of prefer when we say to go sample. So once it starts to dry up, then it would be a great time to go sample. But a lot of people might not be able to do that this fall. And so we could still sample in the spring. Uh, the results might be slightly different, so you just have to interpret them differently. Mm-hmm. But testing is better than not testing at all to know what you might have out in that field to better manage it. Of course, good information. You know, for me, we don't have that many active ingredients we're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, they're all neonicotinoids. They're similar in activity in cotton because of the resistance. Imidacloprid is the only one that works that we recommend. It's the only one anybody's providing. So the, the real decision is what add-ons that we're going to put on mm-hmm. there. And some of those nematicides that are added have thrips activity, like I said. So uh, that does improve your thrips control. Now, totally different decision when you get into corn where we don't have significant nematode issues. I probably wouldn't pay a lot of extra for a nematicide seed treatment. I think the real take-home message is when you go order your seed or you go talk to your distributor to get it treated locally, is ask them what they're putting on the seed mm-hmm. and how much you're paying for it. And then you can start making more educated decisions. Otherwise, they'll say, well, we're going to put this on there, and you might be buying a, a nematicide in a soybean field that doesn't have any soybean cyst nematodes. Well, a lot of good information that can help producers make some of these important decisions coming up before next year. All right, before we close out, on uh, to digress a little bit, we want to c- congratulate Scott Stewart on winning the West Tennessee Research and Education Center Chili Cook-Off. Re-winning it after a rip-off last year. You, you know, okay, so if everyone's listening, the Chili Cook-Off annual thing we, we do here, Scott won two years ago, and then last year lost to Tracy Sullivan by one vote. And I noticed that this year you won by one vote, and what people may not realize is that you voted for Tracy last year. No, my year. wife voted oh, your wife for Tracy did. last year. And this has been a Which is what put Tracy over the edge. That's exactly <laughs> this right. has been a whole marriage yeah, yeah, problem yeah. the whole year. Yeah. So I'm guessing she didn't make the same mistake last year. She did year. not. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, I told her, you know, when you go in and vote, you vote for yourself. That's what politicians do. That's what we need to do. Yeah. Well, I guess she did. So congrats to you and her, who I'm thinking is probably the true chili. Cook. Well, she puts all the base ingredients together, but it's my special finishing touches. Oh, I see. You stir it. Is that <laughs> No, I stir in some things. Heather, you were there. Did you do you agree that he was the rightful winner? <laughs> well, it was very good, but with my two sons I had to lay off of some of the hotter chili. Right. <laughs> Well, it was all very good. Yeah, congrats again to you. And and if you ever come by Scott's office, you can see the uh, his chili contest golden ladles. He's proudly displayed them everywhere. Mine. Thanks again for y'all for being here, and thank you for listening to Call of the Week. We'll talk next week. Call of the Week is brought to you by the University of Tennessee Institute of Agriculture and UTCrops.com.